1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Hopefully you downloaded the KDOS 1060 app and got yourself registered for those Waste Management Phoenix Open tickets. We'll be pulling winners today. If not, there's still time to uh, download the app and take us with you, the KDOS 1060 app for Apple and Android users, and we'll have some more prizes uh, later on in the uh, coming months. As it is, though, let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. It's Super Bowl week with the Chiefs and the 49ers both already in Las Vegas getting their preparations ready to go. So who do you have in the Super Bowl, Kansas City plus two or San Francisco minus two? And the masses currently and overwhelmingly on the Kansas City side of things at 80% of the vote, San Francisco coming in at 20%. And the plan is this is going to be the KDUS1060.com poll question for the entire week like it was a year ago when the Super Bowl was here. And uh, we will update this and give you the changes from day to day, let alone from uh, you know, update to update during that current show. Uh, so uh, this, line, this line has been pretty much sitting at two since last Tuesday. There are a couple of two and a halfs in the world, including at the Supergate, Superbook uh, Westgate, the Westgate Superbook. Uh, in Las Vegas, uh, that's just, you know one of the more high volume shops as far as handle and so forth goes. So two and a half there, but I didn't really see any two and a halfs uh, anywhere else in the last. I just kind of glimpsed through the, uh, the top of the hour here for a few moments, but that's the only two and a half I could find from what I consider to be a uh, really high profile, high volume, high handle you know sports book. We will, as you kind of mentioned, touch on this around 1230 today, but still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Tossing this on over to X at KDOS AM 1060. Does Devin Booker complain too often to the NBA referees? And yes, leading the way at 76.2% of the vote. No trailing at 23.8%. The timing of this question is after his latest outburst yesterday in the first half when the Suns had a 20-point lead and he was in the game with three fouls already and got his fourth foul, got teed up, then did not leave the floor in a timely manner, and the Suns got teed up in addition to Booker being teed up with a uh, failure to leave the court in a proper frame of time and whatever. Uh, And I've actually talked to people about this Maybe it's just me. I don't think it's just me. I talked to somebody who I think is maybe seen pretty close to literally every Suns game since it's in you know, 1968 that's been at least on television or, you know, this used to be a season ticket holder, one of my acquaintances. And he actually was the first one to really mention this to me a couple of years ago. And I know that uh, at least one NBA TNT broadcast in the last two or three weeks mentioned about how 
he needs to just kind of pipe it down a little bit. So hence the question comes out today after his latest outburst yesterday in a game that they were winning by 100 points. A question that we will officially provide our answer, even though I think we know the direction Bob is leaning here. Uh, we'll officially provide that around 1230 today. If you'd like to chime in, get involved. Super Bowl week is here. Uh, if you want to talk about some of the coaching decisions around the NFL, uh, NBA, as well as college hoops, 602-260-1060 is the number. Taking your calls today around 1130 and 1215. A bit of a reminder, we're rolling over last weekend's Friday spread bet which was Chiefs plus two and a half uh, that obviously will take place this Sunday we are 14 and six on the season and have one more Friday spread for the football season which is this Friday and of course that $100 gift certificate is attached to it come with your weekend play looking for two winners uh, to round out this uh, college and NFL season for the Friday spread all coming to you from Von Hansen's meets and spirits let's uh take a moment to dive into the nba and we'll start with the phoenix suns they finished the road trip one and one with a 129 to 120 loss to the hawks and then a 140 to 112 win over the wizards bob you had said on friday that you felt that the hawks could give the suns some trouble and they certainly did Trey Young was 7 of 11 from 3 with 32 points and 15 assists. Bogdan Bogdanovich was 4 of 7 from 3 for 23 points. The Hawks did out-rebound the Suns 43 to 38. And what was a 5-point deficit for the Suns heading into the fourth quarter, they were unable to overcome that, scoring just 25 points in the fourth. Same old, same old. You mentioned the fourth quarter numbers, and I didn't even include that in the sports zone, which I should have. But it seems to be the same ingredients for almost every Suns loss. Uh, that's one of them. The fourth quarter, the worst uh, fourth quarter team in the NBA, offense and defense this year. And I can't imagine that that's changed in the last three or four days. And, you know, that was certainly the case as of uh, mid last week. And, you know, the you know, rebounding, uh, as you mentioned, they did win the Friday night rebounding battle. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, they still got dominated in the points in the paint, uh, they are horrible in turnovers. This has been a problem all year long. <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't have a point guard. I think that's something to do with it. <clears throat> See if I can get my voice back here. That would be very helpful because I'm talking for radio purposes here. Uh, so they got, uh, they got destroyed in the points off turnovers again, 16 to nine, uh, you know, excuse me, they had 16 turnovers to nine for the, Haw the Hawks. Then they gave up 21 points off the turnovers. They only scored five points off the turnovers. It's just the same old stuff all the time. And uh, it's, uh, I just don't, and I've said this for weeks and months, it's just, I don't think it's going to change as long as the current roster is constructed. And Thursday's a trade deadline, and no, none of the insiders seem to think that the Suns really have the opportunity or because of their salary cap thing or their lack of a bench to really make a decisive move before the Thursday deadline. You know, you talked about turnovers there. And, and yes, I, I think you can talk about not having a point guard and getting yourselves into a half court set. Uh, I have been impressed with Bradley Beal's increased role uh, as, as ball handler and book has been playing a little bit more off guard or off the ball because of that. But 
for me, looking at the turnovers and the turnovers that really irk me are just lazy passes and really at this level shouldn't shouldn't be happening and yet they happen uh game to game and it's really frustrating to watch that totally agree and also the fact that there's not a point guard is that the floor balance is frequently not existent uh and that's uh, has a whole lot to do with the other team running out and getting the points off those turnovers what do you make of Charles Barkley, who said uh, that Bradley Beal should come off the bench? I didn't know he said that. That's just one of the dumbest things. That, you know, this is saying saying something. This is maybe the, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard Barkley say. Or he, you know, thankfully, I don't get to hear him say it because I don't watch NBA on TNT anymore. Except if if I'm watching the game, I don't watch the halftime or the post game. I'm not learning anything that I think is you know, going to help me as far as my NBA knowledge goes. Sunday, Bradley Beal, he made his return to D.C. and was the star of the show, 16 of 21, 4 of 5 from 3 with 6 assists and 43 points. The Wizards offered up very little defensive resistance. The starters played less than 30 minutes, except for Beal, who played 31 minutes and then was taken out to uh, a standing ovation. The Suns, they remain sixth in the NBA West at 29 and 21. And, and boy, when you look at the West standings here, things are a logjam. You have the Thunder and the Timberwolves each at 35 and 15, the Clippers at 33 and 15, the Nuggets 35 and 16. Then there's another set of logjam with the Kings at 29 and 19, the Suns 29 and 21, the Pelicans 28 and 21, the Mavs 26 and 23, the Lakers 26 and 25, the Jazz 25 and 26. Yeah, I want to say something about uh, the way that the Washington, uh, whoever's in charge there, handled Beal's return and their fans. I thought it was tremendous. It was, you know, it was uh, not a hostile environment by any means. In fact, it was like a homecoming game uh, for a local hero, of which he was when he played there. I mean, he did not bitch and moan about, you know, them not being very good and not getting better and. Yeah, he was like, I know he was the NBA Man of the Year or whatever they call that award at one time because of his, uh, you know, you know, charitable duties or you know, charitable, charitable, uh, you know, off the court things with his wife and so forth. It was great, uh, and yeah, he was. You know, it sounded, it almost sounded like a not quite a son's home game, but when he scored, especially there was loud cheering throughout the most uh, most of the time. Then. The way that yeah, you know, I think that Vogel did a tremendous thing when they he took Vogel, you know, Vogel took him out in the fourth quarter, and you know, he he encouraged you know, the fans to stand up. They were all some of them were already standing up, and it gave him a you know a standing ovation at the end of the game. He got one at the start of the game. He seemed like he was getting a kind of a standing ovation sometimes during the game. So uh, that whole thing was very cool. It wasn't, uh, you know, we have a lot of guys that go back to their old, uh, you know, old teams, whether whatever sport it is, and it's often uh, not the best environment and not the best situation. But this was great, and I thought that uh, obviously he responded with a, you know, the the best game of his son's career, the most points he scored as a son, uh, forty three. But also, I just thought it was just an all-around tremendous day for everybody involved in Washington, except for the Wizards, who were absolutely awful. And uh, to repeat from the sports zone, 
literally, and I'm not exaggerating in any way here, they're one of the worst NBA teams I have ever seen. Yeah, like I said, they offered up very little resistance. Um, and it's interesting. They do have some some players. I know Kyle Kuzma wasn't wasn't active for the game. Yeah, and the best guy's <laughs> not playing because they don't want him to get hurt before the trade deadline. <laughs> yeah, and then I know Tyus Jones has been uh, linked in some, some rumors as well for his possible trade. So, uh, and I know that they fired their coach. They have the interim coach in there now. So they're just probably in a total rebuild situation. They've lost 11 straight home games. But home games. This is I maybe what happens when you have Jordan Poole on your roster and you don't have <laughs> the rest of the Warriors to balance things out. Well, the biggest problem is they're literally the worst rebounding team in the NBA, and I didn't look at the numbers, but apparently, at least according to the Suns broadcast, I guess they're by far the worst rebounding team in the NBA. I have a couple of more things that I want to touch on around the NBA, so we'll take a break and do that on the other side. We have plenty more to get into in terms of the weekend of college basketball, and if it lived up to the hype of four games featuring top 10 teams, we'll get into all of that uh, as we continue on here in hour number one of the Extra Point on this Monday, February 5th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. More NBA discussion is coming up next. Downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is mail, chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. This Monday, February 5th, Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. The Suns, they are off today. They will be welcoming in the Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday. That'll be an 8 p.m. on TNT game. The Suns, as I mentioned, they remain sixth in the NBA West, as it is for the Bucks. They have started now one and three with Doc Rivers as their uh, head coach. Giannis had. They should fire him. He's not any good. Get him out of there. Uh, Giannis had 48 in a 129 to 117 come from behind victory over the Mavs, but then lost yesterday 123 to 108 to Utah. Now, how about this? I I, I just find this to be amusing here. So, um, the Bucks coaching staff. So that's that's Doc Rivers has been named coach of the East in the All-Star game. Doc Rivers was asked about it. Uh, He says here, quote, that is ridiculously bad. It really is. Well, Adrian's going to get some money, that's for sure, and a ring. It's one of those quirky things. I think there should be a rule somehow that someone else does it other than me Uh, because they take the whoever is 
having the respective best record in the West and the East, those coaching staffs uh, get to coach in the All-Star game. But the Celtics have the best record in the East, but Joe Missoula was ineligible because he coached last season. So Doc Rivers, after four games in, he gets to go coach the All-Star game. It just you know, kind of merges with the All-Star game, which is ridiculous in itself. Now, Joel Embiid, he will have knee surgery to address the left meniscus injury that he suffered. Uh, According to reports, a more precise timeline of his return after the doctors complete the surgery, which uh, I think is supposed to happen in the next couple of days. It's also being reported this morning that he's out between one and two months, so you can all do the math there. Now, the NBA has been seeing a lot of high-scoring games and in particular a lot of players who are putting up big time numbers it almost feels like we've reached a point in the nba where uh someone who scores 43 points is ho-hum because we've been having so many 50 and 60 and even 70 point games this year the nba uh this season has at least six 60 point scorers this year which is the most in any NBA season. You had Giannis with 64 against the Pacers back in mid-December. Steph Curry did it on Saturday against the Hawks with 60. Devin Booker, 62, a couple of weeks ago against the Pacers. Luka, 73, a couple of weeks ago against the Hawks. Carl Anthony Towns, 62, two weeks ago against the Hornets. And then Joel Embiid, 70, a couple of weeks ago against the Spurs. But what is crazy about this as well is that Towns, Booker, and Curry's performances all came in losses. So here's my question. Bob, you are a defensive guy, and it really seems that no one is playing defense here. And maybe even more so, can we pinpoint that the rules aren't really allowing guys to play defense? Absolutely, you can't. And this is what the NBA wanted, maybe not to this extent, but they wanted more offense and every rule that I can think of literally uh, since uh, you know, the thug ball era of the 90s when basically Pat Riley and the Knicks and then the Pistons with Chuck Daly were allowed to tackle and maim players. Uh, ever since then, I think every rule change has basically been to help offense. They took out hand checking. That was about uh, speaking of Doc Rivers. Uh, that was, uh, and some people thought the Doc Rivers rule when Doc was still playing. One of the, you know, he was certainly a major culprit of being a effective hand checking defender for the Knicks in those days. Uh, but ever since then, uh, I don't remember a rule change has actually benefited the defensive side of the ball. And so, therefore, I thought I would look up out of all the players here that were a part of that at least sixty point club this season. How often were they scoring these points from the foul line? So you had Carl Anthony Towns going 10 of 14 from the foul line. Embiid, 21 of 23 from the foul line. Luka, 15 of 16 from the foul line. Booker, 12 of 13. Giannis, 24 of 32. And then Steph was the only one, the outlier here, that pretty much did most of his his, uh, damage from the floor. He was just 6 of 6 from the foul line. I guess that's probably predictable, right? Because he's a long-range bomber, and I don't know the—I uh, don't know how many threes he made in that game. But there's that. 
you know, the, the Carl Anthony Towns game was so bad that his own head coach at the end of the game after they lost criticized his own team for the way that they played. Yes, I do remember that. Um, okay, so it, it, we're trying to find this balance between changing rules for offensive production, but has it swung too far that it's now leading itself in the direction of these games aren't competitive, they're not fun to watch, that these offensive numbers, while they're impressive, that guys are putting up these numbers, there's really no defensive resistance and the whole game itself uh, has really changed from maybe what we've been more accustomed to watching. You're asking the wrong guy. I mean, I, I, the only Suns, the only regular season games I ever watch and have for years, uh, from start to finish, are Suns games because I have to watch those games. Uh, I'm curious though, uh, because usually once the playoffs start, they call less fouls and it's a much more physical game. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, these games will not continue once the playoffs start or it's going to be kind of a joke. And uh, I love the playoffs. I mean, I make it a big deal. And I know I irritate some people, probably many people, uh, with my many years of uh, criticizing the NBA regular season and calling it a waste of time. But I love the playoffs. I love the game-to-game strategy in the playoffs. Uh, and you know, just the, the level of play is much better in the playoffs for obvious reasons. Uh, but I'm now somewhat concerned that this is going to spill over into some in the into the playoffs, which uh, it will you know further irritate me, and I'll be uh, my anarchy might start in the playoffs if this if this doesn't get better. Yeah, um, it, it, it certainly can't spill over into the playoffs, but it might. But I, I guess I could ask this question here then. Seeing that there are at least six 60-point scorers this season in the NBA, uh, that doesn't necessarily impress you, right? To joke. How's that? <laughs> For a quick answer. I mean, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. Short and to the point and sweet and gets it across. Well, there's been this. There's been so many of them. It can't be a coincidence. I mean, if it were like one or you know one guy here and there, like you know Kobe, would he have 80 that one game and this you know against Toronto? That was just like one epic scoring scoring explosion. And it's not like the, you know the Raptors didn't try to stop him. I mean, you know they did everything they could. He was just he could he wasn't going to miss a shot, and he shot 100 free throws, and he should have. It's not like that game. Uh, you know, and I totally agree with you. I don't even mention when somebody scores like 50 points. Who cares? I mean, it's, it happens all the time, it seems like. Yeah, the most ever. At least six of them now so far in the NBC NBA season. We still have like two months left to go in the regular season as well. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll get into college hoops and the weekend that was on the other side of the break. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. AM 
AM 1060. It is Monday. It is February 5th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll take your phone calls now, but we'll also get the conversation started with College Hoops. First up, I have to ask, I mean, uh, as giddy as you can get, I think you were giddy on Friday with uh, with the fact that there was a lot of really great college basketball matchups, and we mainly touched on just the four games that featured top 10 opponents in those matchups, but there were some other games, too, on the docket that were uh, highly regarded. So did the college basketball weekend live up to the expectations and the hype? Yeah, could have had a couple of games a little closer, but I was highly entertained uh, throughout uh, the four top ten matchups, which if that's never happened before, at least according to CBS TV, and they carried a couple of these games, so I assume that's accurate. We've never had four top ten matchups on one weekend in the regular season. We have in the postseason, but not in the regular season. So and, uh, between those games and couple of Mountain West Conference games and, uh, you know, the Gonzaga and St. Mary's game, which turned out to be a pretty ugly affair as, uh, you know, seemed like every piece of trash in Spokane, Washington was thrown onto the floor in the last couple minutes of the game after the Gonzaga fans thought they were getting screwed by the officials, which they weren't. Uh, other than that, uh, I was highly entertained. I was pretty appalled the way that the Gonzaga fans uh, took to the you know, being just jerks and you know, that by the way Gonzaga has zero wins this year against quad one of the opponents and if the NCAA tournament began right now they should not be included in the NCAA tournament yeah it's well we touched on that a little bit uh when we went through Lenardi's uh brackets predictions and it would be the first time under the Mark Few era that they wouldn't be making the uh, tournament, obviously, uh, the 2020 year when there was no tournament. But other than that, it would be the first time under his tenure. They're being hurt. The West Coast Conference is down a little bit. Now, St. Mary's is good now, but they were like 3-5 and five, uh, to start the season and had some bad losses. Uh, but uh, they, they, I think they've only lost one game since December the 1st. And uh, they're what you would expect. Randy Bennett, uh, Mesa, you know, Mesa product, Randy Bennett, the head coach at uh, St. Mary's. Uh, they're good and they've gotten better. Uh, and uh, But that's the only team in that conference that's really NCAA tournament worthy. Uh, they, they've had three, maybe even four teams in a few years ago. Uh, but this conference is way down. So let's get into those top 10 matchups, and we'll start with number four, Houston, at number eight, Kansas. Kansas with the win, 78-65. Houston, we had touched on it on Friday that they were the best offensive rebounding team in the country. They did have 13 offensive boards to Kansas's six. However, Houston, 24 rebounds, Kansas, 40 rebounds. LJ Cryer led Houston with 24 points, 9 of 20, though, from the floor, 6 of 13 from three. And then Hunter Dickinson with 20 points for Kansas, 9 of 15. And Kevin McCullers Jr. did, in fact, play. He had 17 points, 7 of 8 from the floor. Yeah, this was the uh, Bob was an idiot game from the weekend. I actually thought that Houston was going to win at Allen Fieldhouse. How stupid is that? Uh, you know, they have now played a total of 308 games in Allen Fieldhouse with Bill Self as the head coach. They've been an underdog twice. 
Uh, they won both of those games when they've been an underdog, including on Saturday. Houston was favored by a point and a half in that game, as it turned out. Kansas made 16 of its first 20 shots to begin the game. This against a Houston defense, which was ranked number one in defensive efficiency by Ken Palm. Before the game, I assume that they're probably still are after the game because they've you know been so dominant against uh, you know quite frankly they didn't play a very good non-conference schedule but um, they've been really good but until this game you know, Kansas scored 43 points in the first half they led 43-28 at halftime Houston did not allow more than 34 points in the first half of any game this season. And the 28 points that Houston scored in the first half were their fewest of any game this season. You mentioned the rebounding thing. Uh, you know, the, that was, uh, you know, Kansas isn't missing shots. So there, you know, you know, there's, there's less rebounds to get from Houston or anybody else. I do think that Houston, you mentioned McCullers, and he, you know, I didn't think that he could, you know, how could he be you know, an effective player after he you know, missed some time with a knee injury last week? He was tremendous, as you mentioned. Also, I do think that one injury for Houston in this game very early in the first half made a bit of a difference, but I don't think it would have made the difference. Uh, they lost uh, you know, Levere Francis, who's one of their rebounding guys. Uh, he's 6'8 and 240. He's a rebounding guy. Uh, he did not return. He left with a knee injury in that game, and uh, they didn't even give us they gave us a quick update on that too. So you know they knew right away that he was not going to return in that game. They're going to need him later. By the way, these teams play again. This is going to be a common theme here when we go through these top ten matchups. They play again on March the 9th at Houston. Yeah, and that's um, well now that they're in the same conference and these two these two teams matching up against each other back in Houston's place. That should be a fun flip of the home court. Well, we don't have a true round robin. Not everybody's playing two games in the Big 12 anymore because they have like 63 teams in the Big 12. Uh, but they are playing. Kansas and Houston are playing twice this season and also twice next season. Ironically, they announced on Saturday that the well, smart timing here because it was obviously a big hype game. They announced that the first game that they play against Kansas next year, it would be a Houston home game played in Mexico City next year. I don't know. I know that obviously pro sports is doing that, but I don't know. Should college sports be doing that? That's actually where they're playing. They're playing at the same arena where the Spurs have played some games. Uh, so I would just suggest that those guys better be in shape because the altitude is good. They're going to be sucking wind. Number seven, Duke at number three, UNC. UNC won 93 to 84. Armando Baycott, uh, he was great. 25 points, 10 of 13 from the floor. Jeremy Roach for Duke, 20 points, but Proctor only two points. Duke, we touched on it on Friday, excels in transition threes, but they only uh, ended up having minimal opportunities, 5 of 19. Meanwhile, UNC was 9 of 24. Okay, you inspired Mr. Baycott. Uh, you know, you brought him up, and then I mentioned, uh, maybe I inspired him, but we talked to him. He has not had a good season. Nowhere near what he's had the last two or three seasons. He obviously had his best game on uh, Saturday night. However, the best player on the floor in that game was Harrison Ingram, who used to play for Stanford, transferred to Carolina before this year. 
He was unbelievable at both ends of the floor. 21 points, 13 rebounds, four steals in that game. And uh, we thought he was, you know, he was a heralded player when he went to Stanford. Didn't have the best talent around him at Stanford. Probably not, not probably, not particularly well coached, in my opinion, at Stanford. And uh, he's turned out to be a big reason why Carolina is a top 10 team, top five team this year, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, they're the best team in the ACC. Uh, they were favored by four and a half in this game and, you know, one by one by nine. But they were, I never really thought that uh, that uh, Duke really had much of a chance, quite frankly. In fact, Duke in the first half of this game, Carolina not only plays good defense, they don't foul. But to this extent, was surprising, Duke didn't even shoot a free throw in the first half of this game. Uh, and that, you know, usually they get to the line a lot. You mentioned the transition. Uh, that was all Carolina. They're always, most always one of the best trans, best transition teams in college basketball. They were 19, uh, they had a 19-7 advantage in points off of turnovers. And there really weren't that many turnovers, quite frankly. Only 15 total in the game. But when they got him, there, uh, Carolina was able to take advantage of that. And... These teams play, obviously, again, they always play the first week of February and then the first week of the regular, the last week of the regular season. They play Norwich the ninth in the rematch, <laughs> and that's at Cameron. So these two teams here, uh, you know, everyone's projections are that UNC will be a one seed in the tournament. Did you see anything here that kind of said to yourself they've they've pulled away uh, or at least maybe pulled away from Duke or pulled away at all from some of the other teams in college hoops? Not in college hoops. I mean, I think you have two teams that are clearly the best two teams in college basketball. You can, in fact, I listened to a, the CBSSports.com podcast with Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander should be required listening to all college basketball fans. I've listened to them for years. And one of their topics this morning, or I guess they recorded it yesterday, but that I listened to this morning was it's Connecticut and Purdue. And you can make a case either way who's the best team between those two. I think you make a case that Carolina is in the running to be the third best team at this point. Wouldn't shock me if Carolina won, won the NCAA tournament. Uh, this is the most well-rounded Carolina team we've had in several years, including the team that went to the championship game and got destroyed uh, by, uh, by Kansas a few years ago, two or three years ago. To round out Saturday's games, number five, Tennessee, at number 10, Kentucky, Tennessee won 103-92. to Zakai Ziegler, 26 points and 13 assists yeah. for the Volunteers. And then Dalton knocked uh, 16 points, adding in for the Volunteers. Kentucky was actually read by Rob Dillingham off the bench for Kentucky with 35 points. But uh, we had touched on that the defense here maybe was not going to be um, – it was not going to show up, and, and maybe it didn't. It hasn't all year. This is the worst defensive team the Calipari has maybe ever had, whether it's UMass, Memphis, or Kentucky. They're atrocious on defense. Uh, Kentucky was a small home favorite in this game. Uh, you know, I was an idiot uh, when I thought Houston might win at Kansas. However, I was right in the North, the North Carolina win uh, over Duke, and then I was right about this game with Tennessee uh, winning at Kentucky, and it was largely because I just didn't think that uh, Kentucky can stop anybody that's any good. 
Uh, in fact, Kentucky's allowed, you know, heading into the game, they had allowed 82 points per game just in the SEC games, and now he allowed 103 in this game. You mentioned Ziegler. This is one of the great stories of college basketball this season and maybe the last two or three years. Last year, uh, Tennessee was a top-10 team, and towards the end of the season, I want to say late February or so, uh, Ziegler went down with an – he's our point guard – Went down with an awful knee injury. You, I was watching the game, and anybody that was watching the game knew exactly uh, that he was badly injured. And the fact that he's come back, he started a little slowly this year, as you would expect, uh, but he dominated this game. I mean, he was. this was one of the best individual performances, if not the best individual performance I've seen from any college basketball player this season. Ended up with the 26 points, you know, 13 assists, had three steals in this game. He was the man. I mean, he was really good. I mean, you know, Dalton Connect was just kind of an afterthought uh, in this game. But, uh, yeah, Kentucky also, just one more thing about their awful defense. There cannot be a worse team in college basketball, at least a you know, ranked team, certainly, they are absolutely awful in out-of-bounds situations under the opponent's basket. It's unbelievable how many times the opponents get easy shots or get fouled and get to the free-throw line. You know, Calipari hates playing zone defense, but under the basket, out-of-bounds plays, he needs to start thinking about playing zone defense. That maybe you know, that's the only time, whatever, go ahead, but they just give up. Free points every any time the opponent has a you know an out of bounds play underneath the uh, the opponent's goal. By the way, theme here rematch March the 9th in Knoxville. Huh. March the 9th is going to be a busy day. That's correct. I'm not done with the uh, March 9th weekend. By the way, we got one more game here. I do see that Gonzaga and Kentucky face off on February 10th. Gonzaga gets another chance for a, you know, maybe the last chance. Well, they play St. Mary's again. They're going to get at least two more chances to get a, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, tier one victory, which they have not gotten yet this season. Uh, I, you know, Gonzaga, they're not a great offensive team. I'm not sure they'll score. I predict that they will not score 103 points at Kentucky. <laughs> number two, Purdue at number six, Wisconsin. We'll get into that game on the other side of the break. And if we have some time, we'll also touch on ASU and U of A basketball as we wrap up our number one in the Monday, February 5th edition of Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Wrapping up our number one of this Monday, February 5th edition of Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. Continuing the College Hoops conversation from the weekend, Sunday, 
It was number two, Purdue, at number six, Wisconsin. Purdue came out on top here, 75 to 69. We've come accustomed to Zach Eady being a double-double machine, 18 points, 13 rebounds. Purdue, though, was led by Lance Jones's 20 points. Both teams only made three three three-pointers. Purdue was 3 of 11. Wisconsin was 3 of 19. Purdue uh, won on the glass, 42 to 29. That's correct. They also had 21 second chance points off of those you know, 42 rebounds. And that was a really big deal. It seemed like many of those second chance points came at critical times when Wisconsin was making a second half run. They made several second half runs. And uh, some of it was Edie, who didn't do much of anything in the first half. I believe he only had four points and three rebounds in the first half. But he uh, was uh, much more effective in the second half. And um this was actually of the four games uh this to me i thought was the best played game uh it's also you know more a little more of a half court thing uh because that's kind of wisconsin's gig even though they run a little more than they used to but they they want to try to slow you down i think they actually i I would imagine that if you talk to them about this i'm guessing they were pretty happy with the pace of play uh but they just weren't effective and they need to make three-pointers, and they missed all 11 of them in the second half uh, when they were trying to make this run. This is from a team that shoots 36% from a season, uh, for the season behind the arc, which is a you know, well above average in college basketball, uh, but zero for 11. And while Purdue is getting offensive rebounds and second-chance points to, during these runs that Purdue had, uh, Wisconsin, excuse me, Wisconsin couldn't make a three-point shot, and they need to do that some. And I think almost any team that plays the uh, against uh, against uh, Purdue, uh, because obviously Edie inside, you've got to make some three-pointers because it's hard to get to the rim, or more difficult to get to the rim. And these teams play again on March 11th. That's the final weekend of the regular season in college basketball. So that weekend will also be very fun, and that goes right into the conference tournaments, which oftentimes I find to be more entertaining than the NCAA tournament. That that week of the conference tournaments, you get some uh, you know, teams playing each other a third time. Hopefully, the Wisconsin, hopefully all hopefully all these games will be a third time uh, once we get to the conference tournaments because I think that uh, I'd rather watch these teams play each other. Then these teams play other teams in their conference, especially uh, anybody uh, for Duke and North Carolina don't play for a third time. I'm going to be really disappointed. Same thing, Purdue, Wisconsin. Reason being, I'd be more disappointed about them not playing those two matchups there because I don't think the Big Ten and the ACC have really any teams that I care to watch play very often other than those, you know, those four teams. You mentioned getting inside. I think Zach Eady had three blocks in the game as well. So, yeah, he's uh, he's patrolling the area. Pretty much did all this. And he was, like, missing in action in the first half of this game. But, uh, yeah, he was a big part of the second half. You mentioned Jones. He's a big addition for them. He was a transfer. I forgot where he played last year. My bad on that. Uh, but he was a tra- he's a huge addition to their team. Uh, he has a uh, you know, ability to get uh, to get the ball to the rim off the bounce, and he's a good defender, and uh, he's a perfect uh, you know fit for what they needed. 
They've got two really good freshman, sophomore point guards. I think they're both sophomores now, uh, but who have improved since last year. Uh, this Purdue team is definitely different than the ones we've seen fall badly in the NCAA tournament in recent years. I would assume, uh, you know, if I had to guess, uh, they haven't been to the Final Four, by the way, since 1980. Uh, when it was in Albuquerque, I almost went to that final four, but uh, things fell through in the last couple of seconds. But anyway, that's the last time they went to the final four. Uh, it looks like Lance Jones transferred in from, um, Southern Illinois. Okay. That's right. That's exactly right. When I never watched Southern Illinois play, so I didn't even know who he was until this year, but, uh, Definitely gives them uh, a, a type of player that they needed uh, the versatile player that they needed on the perimeter. And uh, he's done he's done a really good job. I would think that he's – the Big Ten's down this year. Uh, he clearly uh, – I can't imagine he would not be an all-Big Ten player in their all-Big Ten. I think the Big Ten's smart as opposed to the Pac-12. They don't have 10 players on their all-conference team. Uh, so I would think even if they have just five, uh, which is the way it should be because you only play with five guys in basketball, but the Pac-12 has 10 every year. Uh, they're stupid first team, uh, but uh, he clearly is one of the five best players in the Big Ten. We'll get into uh, ASU and U of A hoops to start off our number two. We'll also touch on the AT&T Pebble Beach. Uh, then we'll also get into the NFL with uh, new coordinators and where they're going and what's happening with all of that surrounding the NFL. Plus, your phone calls if you'd like to chime in around 12.15 today. 602-260-1060 is the number. Plenty more to get to to kickstart our number two of the Extra Point on this Monday, February 5th. Back after this. 